So, Suresh, um, when are you going to find this hospital for me? You said you know your way around here. We're, we're right near Bank. What do we do the hospital for? Because I burnt my arm. Oh, Look, bloody hell. I know. And I it's know. your right hand. My right hand, exactly. It's 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 swelling. Oh, my God. We, you know what? We need to go to the hospital. Yeah, and okay. you know your way around here. All right. So. Um, this What's looks like a hospital. Yeah. What yeah? is this building? Looks looks quite plush. Yeah, I think it could be a hospital. It could be a posh hospital, private hospital maybe. Let's well, go in. Ops is outside. But All right. I'm sure that's just like normal let's, stuff. Let's go in. Let's try okay. it. This is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Kortnich. Suresh, what do, you, what do you think all these boxes everywhere, not just outside? And this doesn't look like a hospital to me. I don't think it's a hospital. This is uh What is it? I don't know, actually. Look. Oh, my God. It's proper plush, though. It's right up your street. This is like... Maybe it's a private member's club. Um, it's yeah. Like, it's like well, 5 Hartford Street or something like that? No. <laughs> no? This is the Lord Mayor's office. Wow. Yeah. That and, is pretty awesome. And then look, look at all these boxes. It's got his name on it. You know what? I think he must be being kicked out. Ah, oh, it's end of his term, so it's end actually of term. Okay. yeah, not kicked out. No, no, no. It's uh, this but I'm just a, wondering. How long do they get then? They get one year. One year. Yeah. Okay. Do you reckon do we you... could get in? Look, we've got into the European Commission. I think we can get into the Lord's Mayor's office. Let's try and sneak through. Excuse me, sir. Um, are you the Lord Mayor of London? I am. I am. Oh, wow. I actually know that you've come from a payments background, so we've got some questions for you. We're not recording anything. There's nothing to no, worry no about. No recording at all. You know, these either. wires, just yeah, ignore yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's been wiring a few cars on his way out. <laughs> so do you mind if we ask you some questions? Go because ahead. Go ahead. There's go not ahead. many people... I'm going to say this in, in quite a harsh way, but there's not many people in a position of authority that actually understands payments in a in a kind of a detailed way. And, and from what I recall, you used to be at Barclays Bank or something like that, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, there some I history there? 14, 15 years at Citigroup um, and then the last 11 years with Barclays. So with, with Pingit, with mobile payments, and of course also liaising with uh, businesses in, in Kenya. So in PESA, in, in Kenya, uh, and then more recently, was, as you know, with Lord Mayor, you know, with Paytm in, in India, I mean, they've got 500 million customers. It's been booming it's all over the world. Yeah, that, that is brilliant. So not only are you in authority, but you actually understand what's going on in this, this amazing world of payments that is just developing so fast at the moment. What is the Lord Mayor's actual role? Because I think there'll be a lot of listeners that will think, what is the City of London Corporation? What is the Lord Mayor's role? So, I mean, very briefly, I mean, over 800 years, the City of London has been very much at the heart of business. We, we were at the heart of trades, you know, the old trades, the more modern professions now, and we continue to do that. So the primary job of the Lord Mayor is promoting business, and particularly in the 20th, 21st century, that's been financial and professional services. But we can see that widening into more broader technology and innovation as we go. So that's the day job. The day job is promoting that innovation and we're seeing some fantastic innovation all around the country, whether it's in Cardiff, whether it's in Glasgow, in Manchester, it's driving jobs, it's driving economic growth. So it's brilliant. As that economic growth develops, it also creates responsibilities. And as business, we have a responsibility to both skill our employees, but also ensure that our customers can engage with our services. 
there's no point being a supermarket that wants to digitize and sort of require you to use a device to go and do your shopping if actually you don't know how to do it. All right. It might be efficient for them. It might create economic benefit for them. But if they don't can't do that in a way that engages with their customers, then they'll either lose their customer base or they will deliberately stratify their customers, which is that a healthy thing or not. So as a as Lord Mayor, my day job is to champion business and to promote business domestically and internationally. But alongside that, to encourage and ensure that the business community is focusing on uh, the responsibilities that go with that. Digital skills is something that is on everyone's agenda at the moment. Is the digital skills gap bigger in London? Is it a national issue or or, or is it something that you're doing something about more, more broadly? We used to call it CSR. Corporate social responsibility, community social responsibility, etc. But increasingly, we now say that's part of our DNA as a business. What's Mm. our purpose? Our purpose isn't simply just to go make money. Our purpose is to actually meet a need in society. And part of the benefit of that is you create economic benefit, but you also have this responsibility that goes with it because you're having to meet that need in the right way. For the UK to be a successful economic powerhouse, going forward, as we have been, we need to boost our digital skills. So is it a crisis? No, it's an opportunity. You can look at it as a crisis, that's the negative element of it, but you can also look at it as an opportunity that if we respond in the right way, we will do what we've done before. We will create that economic growth, but we will also power the UK by really skilling up um, our, our society so that they can not only contribute as a workforce, but they can also get the benefits socially. We've got uh, about 12 million of the population now who don't have what we would call the essential digital skills to engage in society, whether it's for social purposes or business. And that's like 10% or something? No, well, no, no, 20%. 20%. 20%. I mean, it's 20%. And, and this, is the, this is literally because as we talk about payments, you know, last 10 years we've seen payments change dramatically. And so for many of us, we don't keep up to date. And so that gap is widening. We've also got about 17 million people in work. As work changes and is continuing to change, we'll find themselves not skilled for, for the jobs of the future if we don't upgrade the, the and, skill and is base. there an age thing on this? Is it, is it the older population? Or are we seeing even the young population that you see playing on their mobile phones and doing digital stuff all the time? Are they caught out as well? Yeah, it's largely uh, widespread. If we go to a piece of research that Lloyd's uh, Banking Group did, what's called the Consumer Digital Index, uh, where they've published uh, this analysis only only a few months ago. So it, it's widespread. It's across the whole country. It's across the whole age range. There is a heavier grouping around older generation, but about 15, 16% of our younger people do not have the skill sets. Uh, and it, it grows as we go up the age range. If we come back and say, well, why is that? There are some specific hard facts around areas where we've got no spot. So effectively, they haven't got access to the internet physically. In some cases, they can't afford it because data is still quite expensive. Uh, in a few cases, they don't have the skills and they feel ashamed. I mean, we, we all would feel sort of that element of we don't want to admit that we don't have the skills. But by and large, 39% of these groups, it's motivation. They're not motivated. They don't see the benefits. Um, And of course, there are one or two, and we have to respect this, who by choice don't want to engage in the digital world. 
Yeah. And that's choice. That's but is this choice. a is this a curriculum issue? You know, I've, I've got my son, and and basically one of the languages they're being pushed to him is, is Latin, and I'm kind of saying, well, is that going to be re- is that going to help you in the future? And I'm almost asking things like, you know, is Mandarin an option? I mean, I know this is a different subject, but almost like, are they are the children being taught the right things in school? So, in my view, the answer is no. I think we need to continue to shift. I think that uh, I'm not an educationalist, but it, as I look at what is happening in life and as we progress from school into the world of work and more broadly, actually, the academic side is very well catered for. I mean, and certainly as we go through to university, fantastic research. I mean, you know, some of the best in the world. So, we're not talking about the academic aspects, the Latin, the science, the history, etc. I mean, actually, we, we excel in that. I mean, could we do better, perhaps? But we excel. What we are, what we are, shall we say, less good at doing is picking up the skill sets that, um, again, we often take for granted in the world of business. Uh, and if we went back 10, 20 years, we would talk about it in the in the form of sort of presentation skills, listening skills. What we refer to often as EQ, the emotional quotient. And these were the skills that people regarded as being critical to actually leading in business and leading in society. But as we've moved into the 21st century, digital skills, and it's not just coding. I mean, that's a technical Mm. capability. This is the ability to engage with the technical world in which we live, whether you can spot fake data, fake news, how you secure yourself, the emotional skills involved in, you know, how often do you look at your phone? All right. Probably every ten minutes. Well, and, and the question trouble, is: is you know, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Are you addicted to it? And so we, it's relatively nascent. This is all relatively short-lived. But we're not necessarily working with people to run through those skills. And there's various curricula coming out now. But when you come back to the basics, and um, what the government has done is set out the, what they call the essential digital skills how you communicate using a you know, technology piece of device, how you search the internet, how you make a payment online. I mean, those are basic skills. I mean, if you are one of the, the, the more unfortunate people in the country and on sort of social benefit, nowadays, if you, if you go on to, you have to go online in order to access universal credit. Well, what happens if you can't? What happens if you either don't physically have the, the ability to do it or you don't have the skills, you don't know how to go and search or fill in, a, fill in a form online? So we take it for granted, but actually in our educational system world, how are we really take, you know, helping people to learn those skills? So part of it is motivation. You know, what excites you? You know, is it the rugby or is it actually speaking with your family? Um, is it watching something on like Netflix or whatever it might be? These are all the things, let alone actually what we do in work. So how do we excite people as to well, what are the skills you need in order to be a more rounded uh, person that can engage in the digital world? You know, this, this is not a new topic. I mean, we're seeing it emerge, albeit the acceleration is taking place. And there's some fantastic stuff out there. There really is. I mean, the government's done things with the DSP, which is the Digital Skills Partnership. They've also, as I said, launched this essential um, uh, uh, digital skills framework, which becomes a requirement for all of us as we go forward in 2020. Businesses around the country and civic society have created some fantastic tools. So uh, Good Things Foundation, or talking about Lloyd's, or Google Garage, or Barclays Life Skills, or BT's Barefoot Programme. There's lots of these programs all over the place, but they're fragmented. 
how do we work together to create a sort of a melting pot of all of this capability? Do you think digital skills almost need to be simplified? You know, something at the heart of what Fintech Unplugged about is, is that people get confused about, you know, the jargon, the complexities, free of acronyms, free of, you know, simplicity. Yeah, to some extent. But I think we also need to focus on purpose. I mean, there's a great story that I was, uh, I met this chap, Martin. But Martin was basically a dispatcher. Rightly so. Every time they went off, or his work workers went off to to do a job, to put a piece of new windscreen into a car, you know, they have to record everything and the car and this and that and a bit of glass and everything. Like that. It's all manual. It's all paper based, right? And so he said, well, "This is ridiculous." So he went off and found that he could go on this course to write an app, and he wrote this app, and he basically appified or whatever the right word is mm-hmm. it's not a technical term <laughs> right he, he, he created an app for auto glass to capture all of this stuff on smartphones by the people putting the glass in and it all obviously transmitted back to the head office anyway he went and showed the head office they were blown away absolutely blown away all right not only did they then go and implement it but they then said well if you can do that would you like to work in the technology area and so he's now working so he's now changed career wow, wow. and switched across so yeah, what, what triggered that? Well, what, he saw a, a need, all right? He saw a need in the sense of we could be much more efficient. Yeah, the guys or, or ladies on, 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 on the sort of the, the, the front end who are putting in the glass, they don't want to spend hours filling in sheets of paper. So they're just doing it on their phone, recording stuff, you know, bang, and it's all then transmitted straight back. It's, it was dead easy. It's right? almost digital skills at a grassroots level. Correct. Yeah. It took yeah. someone in that place just to see that need. Well, he did it himself in that case. So he, he obviously motivated himself to say, I'm going to go and work out how to write an app. I don't know how to write an app. Do you know how to write an app? No. Do you know how to write an app? Oh. No. Right. So <laughs> the three of us don't know how to write an app. But he went off and wrote an app and or learned how to write an app. And my point is, is that that's one, in, that's one example. All right. But you know, we hear also fantastic examples, people going into some of the Barclays Eagle Labs or, or the Lloyd's Digital Academy and, and hearing stories of people who maybe are an older generation who want to connect with their family and they want to know how to use these devices to Skype or to whatever. So, and this is enabling. But coming with that are also responsibilities that there are people out there who also want to do us harm. So as we encourage people to use technology, we've also got to encourage people to understand how to do that safely and securely, all right? Because I'm afraid there are people out there who would steal our money or our identity and these sorts of things. So as we shift into a digital world, we've also got to give people the skills that say, well, when you receive an email that says your Apple account's just been hacked, well, don't necessarily believe it, all right? You know, what are the techniques to check whether that email is a genuine email? And right. have you found this is one of the reasons why people have been worried about technology? Yes, and yeah. I think, and that, and it's a genuine aspect to it in the sense that, you know, in many ways, we, we, we grow up and we grow up with, with the way things work and the way things happen. And if we end up in a different world where there are things which you're not familiar with, then that can be quite worrying. You know, I mean, I don't write checks anymore. I don't write checks anymore. I will only make a bank transfer you know, through my through my mobile. But some people don't know how to do that. So they only know how to write a check. But actually, writing a check isn't particularly secure. You've got to write it. 
you've got to post it or you know, give it to somebody. I mean, it, as a piece of paper, it, it, is, it, it could be you know, uh, susceptible to fraud. So fraud or, or this type of attack can happen in any medium. But what we need to do is make sure, well, how would you know if somebody creates a fraudulent check? Well, the handwriting would be different or the signature wouldn't match. Yeah, the, the old telltale signs. Well, what are those telltale signs in the digital world? I was reading this article where it said that we trusted checks and the only thing that protects you is to write only at the end of the... Yeah, amount. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stop well, people writing any more words. And, yeah, and keep, and keep all the text quite tight. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But you had the text as well as the numbers. Yeah. And you, you know, so all of these mechanisms, well, what are those in the digital world? Yeah. You know, how do you, you know, when you go and do an online payment, do you just go click, 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 click? Or do you actually check and read to yourself, what have I just keyed in? Do you check it against, you know, do you take that extra five seconds? I hope so. Mm. But, you know, unfortunately, instantaneous gratification doing stuff, we tend to go, bum, 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 bum. oh, no, I've got and transferred it to the wrong bank account or whatever. Well, you know, whose responsibility is that? It's not necessarily the banks. You know, you've got to take some responsibility. But we do have to collectively ensure that you've got the skills. And it's that balance that we're trying to create here. We want the innovation. We want the... The excitement that comes with digital, but we also want to make sure that people have got the skills that they do it safely. Where does the city stand on the idea of the cashless society? A good thing or not? So I'm not a politician, but I don't think it's a binary answer. I think that what we're seeing is is things like ease of use. Now, I'm old enough to remember using the, the tube for quite a long time. Right, I know it's a London example, but you know, going to a machine and sticking some money in and getting a card out and then sticking it into a mother machine, you know, is all quite laborious. All right, and actually, sometimes you have to queue, and then sometimes the machines don't work because the coins don't. Do Nowadays, all I go along is I've got my phone and I put my phone near the reader, and bang, done. All right, it's a cashless society. It's linked to my credit card, bang, done. Right, I find that easier. To my mind, is that a benefit? Well, if, if, if more and more people want to use the tube and it's a faster process, I think if you went into the survey, a large percentage, probably not 100%, but a large percentage of society would say the ease of going on the underground now is a lot better because it's, quotes cashless. You use your credit card or you use your phone or you use your Oyster card. They're all a manifestation of the same thing. But do you know how much you're paying now? Because before you put the coins in, you knew exactly what you paid. Now, when you tap, uh, some weird numbers come up, and at the end of the day, there's some sort of no, that's consolidation. A very, very good question. That's no, a very good question. So if I had cash in my pocket and I went to buy a ticket, I now know I've got less cash in my pocket. And mentally, therefore, I've adjusted myself to my budget, and I sort of know what I'm doing. And that's where the responsibility for these sorts of things now shifts so that if you are making the process more efficient for yourself as a business and actually it's more efficient for the individual but what information are you giving them if you use your oyster card you can see your oyster card actually if you wait an extra extra second before you push through through. the barrier (laughs) right you'll see the amount it's left on the card so you've effectively got that if you use your uh, phone as I do, it clicks up immediately. I mean, I link it to one of my credit cards. I only use that credit card. So I have a discipline which I only use one credit card for going on the underground. So I know that that's the only one I ever use. And it comes up, I get an immediate 
click a piece of notification to say of on it. And, you know, do I actually look at my statement? I sort of flick through it. I mean, do I meticulously do it? Well, if I saw a large charge that I didn't recognize, yes, I would challenge it. But those are the disciplines. So you might save a, you know, a minute or two minutes or whatever the time is every time you go on the underground. But you, do you take some of that time that you've saved and then spend five minutes looking at your records online, mm-hmm. whether it's your credit card or whatever, and say, oh, I don't recognize that. And do something about it, or or it's yes, it's all. Do you think this is what's causing some of the fear of these sort of payments? So people, there there was. I remember when contactless payments first came out, everyone thought like people would be walking past with you taking money off your account. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah, but that's not really going to happen. It's potentially a fear, Robert, but it's partly a lack of knowledge, because fear manifests itself when you don't know how to do something. I mean, I've had some fantastic experiences this year. I mean, one of them has been reading the lesson at St. Paul's Cathedral to 2,500 people or the Royal Albert Hall last week to 4,500 people going out and doing a speech. Walking out onto that stage, if you've never done it before, you've never done a speech in your life, one or two people might be very, very good straight off the bat. But most of us would be like, unbelievably bricking it, all right? I mean, it's just, it's nerve-wracking. You have four lights all over the place. But if you do that 100 times... That fear goes because actually you know what you're doing. You know that all you're doing is delivering a speech. And frankly, whether it's four and a half thousand people or ten doesn't really make a lot of difference. Really. I mean, there are some Mm. subtleties. The point I'm getting at is fear comes when we expect people to do things in an environment which they don't know what they're doing. They've never had any experience of it. And actually they're feeling pressurized. And, And that pressure comes from I'm being forced to do it. So it's about education so it's and about knowledge and motivation and, and, and education and taking people with you. So you're in Mansion House in City of London Corporation in, in kind of headquarters here. Um, I'm sure you've done lots of scientific research about all the things that you're talking about. Now, Fintech Unplugged, we have some very unique scientific research where we actually have a roving reporter that goes on the street and asks random questions. So if there was something... <laughs> That you would like to ask the man, your, on, the the man on the street, what would you ask them? Oh, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> oh. It would be how excited are you around technology? What excites you around about technology? The man on the street. It could be a woman. Can I ask your name first? Uh, Liam. Yvonne. Yvonne. So when you think of technology, you know, does it excite you? I mean, I like social media a lot, so... Is that your favourite? Probably, piece? yeah. yeah okay. probably. Just like different pictures that you see of like scenic things like travel and stuff on Instagram and things like that is what kind of interests me. Okay, yeah. Um, yes, I'm interested in it, scared of it. Obviously, I'm a different generation, so I would be. But it scares me how much people can get to know about you through me clicking on say that I like to go to Portugal or something and then all the adverts via Google are all about Portugal you know it knows where I've been what I've done who I've spoke to that scares me I don't I'm not on social media I'm not on Facebook I'm not on Instagram because to me I think if I want to go and talk to someone tell my friend what I did that day I'll walk around them and go and tell them because I'm still of the generation where I believe communication is key, talking face-to-face rather than over a screen. So it's not that you don't know how to use it, but you just prefer to the yeah. face-to-face? Place. Yes, I do, yeah. 
So whose job do you think it is to make sure that we as consumers and as, as workers in whatever our, our job is, that to know how to use technology? Is it our responsibility or is it, you know, would you look to your employer to, to give you training? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both. I think, like, I don't think you should train yourself on technology. I think you should use other people's skills and, like, you should take advice and tips off them as well. Um, you, I don't think it's a one-way street, no. no. Is that, how do you find that you learn about technology? Is it through, like, do, you, do you go on to, like, a from YouTube? Friends sometimes, like, from friends or, like... They like tell me. I know this might sound stupid, like just like filtering a picture or or making things just like a bit more saturated or better. I don't know. Like I just from talking with friends, I think. If technology were to be able to do something for you that it doesn't currently do, what would that be? Oh my goodness, what would it be? I don't know because it, the way it's moving it is very virtual. I mean, I went to something the other week in Norwich. Um, with my company and we were doing virtual welding we were doing virtual engineering which to me and that's now how children learn his age group learn how to do it it's all 3 4d and things like that how would I change it I don't know because that's the way the world's going isn't it so I have to roll with it to a certain extent and I do and I enjoy and I enjoyed that day out with the virtual bits and pieces and how children were learning Maybe I'm of that generation where I still believe you should talk to someone face to face. I think that's my thing. And then people. Personal letter. (laughs) With with a stamp and old fashioned stuff like that. I think people should, and grammar would be better and all that. But I've got about, I reckon, three or four friends' friends that I could say I've got a lot of acquaintances of people who I work with, but I interact with them every day. And to me, that means a lot more so than going. <laughs> Sorry, that's just my impression of someone driving, which you can't hear, obviously. Hello, my name is Kane. What excites you about technology? Um, oh, uh, the fact it can help save time. What technology do you use that excites you the most? Definitely podcasts gives me the most pleasure. So do you find oh, on Spotify? Yeah. Oh, so, so maybe so that kids. Yeah, music. that's yeah, music and podcasts. Yeah, fintech unplugged. Uh, yes, definitely top of my list. <laughs> so I have uh, WeChat, um, another one called Weibo. You have WeChat? Yes. Uh, you use that instead of WhatsApp? Yeah, it's, I use it similar. I use it like WhatsApp, uh, but just with my Chinese friends in China. Have you ever paid with WeChat? Yes, uh, the whole last year I was living in China and everything was paid through WeChat. Um, I literally didn't use cash. I probably used cash twice in the first week and then it was all WeChat. So does it feel like you're, you've gone back in time to come back to the UK now then? Definitely, yes. In China I was using um, a takeaway app every day. Um, I was paying for everything uh, for that. Uh, a taxi app, I don't, have, I don't even have Uber here. I was using something called Taobao which is a bit like Amazon uh, as well. So I was using these apps all the time and everything was much cheaper and delivered much quicker than Amazon or any comparable English app. Uh, yeah, if, if you were to think about what fintechs could do better, is it the speed? Yeah, I, I don't understand why Amazon takes, unless you have Amazon Prime, I suppose, I suppose uh, takes so much longer to deliver stuff when in China it's quite standard to get it within a day or two uh, for no extra cost most of the time. So if you were to look ahead and uh, think you know, what you've even seen in China or what you just you know, would like to have as a piece of technology, is there anything that would come to mind you think, actually, I'd really like to be able to do this on my phone? 
Yeah, I suppose something a bit like WeChat, but uh, not uh, kind of blocked or censored or anything like that. Do you even think you have a lawyer? Sorry. Don't know. Sorry, don't. Thank you. So something something like WeChat with that amount of functionality in one app would be quite convenient and handy. And be able to pay with everything, order stuff through it, and speak to your friends all on it would be very... So if WhatsApp got a bit fancier, I think I'd be all for it. The man on the street. It could be a woman. So what, what did you think of those answers, Suresh? I guess one of the things we found is that when you look at the technology they're using, they all talk about why they use it, the benefits of it. Yeah. I think that sometimes we lose in technology. I think it's where there is something that can be improved. What do you think, Peter? <laughs> yeah, the world's continuing to change. And I think that, that is part of the challenge, which is as we develop new, new technologies around artificial intelligence and, and robotics and things like that, do I want my life run by a robot? No. All right. So how am I going to shape robotics? All right. I mean, I don't have an Alexa or any of these devices at home, but would it be useful to have a robot doing the washing up and everything and keeping the kitchen clean? Yeah, it could be quite good. I mean, it, more of a gratification type yeah. sort of example, but I would only want it if, if I could control it. I wouldn't want the robot telling me when I have to have my breakfast and what I have to do, and by the way, you have to eat this. I don't think I'd like that. that. That's when the Internet of Things becomes... <laughs> well, do you remember, that, exa- your... do you remember that example of, of, <clears throat> of, of basically a fridge that's like an interconnected to the Internet of Things? And every time you take something out of the fridge, all right, it suddenly tells you, oh, we've well, used half a pint of milk now, you've got to go and reorder and stuff. I mean, that's just getting a bit too hot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't... I, to me, I don't see a need for that, all right? Um, but what if it tells you that light bulb's only got another two days left in it? I think a new light bulb would be good. That you might that, that might be start you know sort of have you got any spare light bulbs yet, etc. Or or your tires on your car, all right? Actually, yeah. you know, safety. They're safety, all right. And your tires on your car automatically the sensors around the hub or whatever, and it's telling you you need to go and change them, whatever. That would be useful. So to my mind, it, it's coming up with things that are of use. Um, and you might not call it passions, but it might be what would, where, where, you know, what technology is the most benefit for you? You know, what's a great example of technology that you think is really useful? And that, I mean, that's the sort of question. Yep. And then, but for some people, they won't be able to answer that question. So you're right. In London, it might be a different situation to asking the question in another city or another rural area. So you're going to dive in the. I'm going to go in. Do you think the UK will retain its fintech leadership position or will it become more of a mentor for startups in emerging markets such as India, where I know you were there recently? So I think we will continue to maintain our, our, our innovation and our lead. I mean, we're the largest fintech uh, hub in the world today. In terms of why are we there? Because we've got the talent, we've, we've got the interconnectivity, um, we've got actually very good regulators who work with us on it. But are we scale? No, we're not scale in the sense that if you go to India and Paytm has got 500 million customers and you know you go to China and WeChat's got 800 million customers. Well, we've only got 60 odd million customers, 70 million customers in this country and they are all people in this country and they are all online. You know, we've got 10, 20 million. So the reality is, is where the strength of the UK is in its innovation, it's in the quality, it's in the the contractual certainty. Because at the end of the day, what you don't want is for you to use something and, and put a lot of vested interest in, in, a, in an app or everything else and suddenly it to go away. 
that gone? You lost all your data, you've lost all your services, maybe it was a store card and the money that's gone with it's gone. Yeah, you don't want that. So you need to know that what's sitting behind the technology is, is robust, is kosher. Uh, and so from my perspective, that's the strength of the UK. If we see what's happening around the world, around the world, there's, there is some genuine innovation, but there's also a lot of replication. And, and that's good. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And in some cases, they're replicating and then leapfrogging, right? But the re- if you look at the real depth of innovation, you know, London was the largest fintech innovator in the world for the first half of 2019, beating New York, Beijing, Shenzhen, San Francisco, you know, Berlin, Luxembourg, any, you know, by a country mark, all right? So, I mean, we were 10% bigger than, 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 than New York. I mean, the sheer scale of innovation and why, and it's, it's coming back to that talent, 42% of that talent is international. So London is not just a UK hub. It's, a, it's, a, it's an international melting pot. So is that the secret recipe? You People say? come to London because of that. Yeah, and they therefore come. we get better talent. It's yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. thing. And that's why it's important with all this Brexit stuff and everything else. But it, it, it's, it's self-fulfilling because, in other words, we're serving not just the community here in the UK, but we're serving communities in China, in, the, in, in India, in Africa. You know, we're working with other countries what they call the Global Financial um, Innovation Network, which is a group of regulators. And that started in London. It's got 29 regulators from around the world now. Why? Because actually a level of connectivity and working together is really important. You know, if you want to be able to use your app in London, that's great. But you want to be able to use that when you go on holiday as well. So actually it's got to be able to work in different places. So the I, regulators played a part in this as well? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we had a, we had a session with the regulators last Thursday. Uh, absolutely no doubt, if you go to the surveys that are being done around the world, one of the reasons why London is seen as the best location for fintech is because we've got a regulator who works with us. All right? It doesn't mean to the say that... England, we've got some... I mean, Mark Kearney was out advocating Libra when all the other regulators well, no, around the world were... No, challenge. He wasn't advocating out. Libra. What he basically said is, you know, we're open-minded, but we're not an open door. In other words, we're happy to look at new innovation and as the boundaries get pushed, but we're not, we're not an open door. You just can't walk in and deliver it. And, and this is the balance between openness and regulation. So on the one hand, we want openness and we want to allow people to, to, competition. to, to do things, competition, all the rest of it. Yeah. But we need some elements of regulation because we need to make sure that there's a degree of fairness, protection, that you know, customers at the end of the day aren't being sold a pup, all right? And it's really important that we create that balance. And it's very difficult because if you go too open, all right, you create yourself open to fraud and all sorts of things like that. You're too regulated, you become a closed market. So the fact that the UK improved its ranking in the ease of doing business recently, this international uh, database, that's all part and parcel of us trying to continue to nudge that balance but we don't want to be so open, as I said, that we're just a free-for-all. I mean, I think one of the reasons London is, is so trusted is its history, the Bank of England and, and the, the Lord Mayor, all, all the way through those 830-odd years or something you were saying earlier. Yeah. There is something in that history that, that, that shows that this isn't something short-lived. And we might be moving forward to a digital age where things are moving forward. But we have that history behind us to say that this, there is trust. 
there is trust in history. Yeah, um, and it's really important that we maintain that. I mean, you know, the, the, the scientists, the math people listening to this will work out, well, if you've had 691 or you're the 691st Lord Mayor, it's 830 years, how does that work? Well, for the first couple of centuries, we had Lord Mayors that were Lord Mayors elected for multiple years, but that stopped for various reasons. And so we, you're only Lord Mayor now for a year. But what that means is that first and foremost, you want to leave the city in a better place than you found it. But secondly, you've got to work with your predecessor and your successor to create a continuum. There's no point in doing a stop-start. So as I come to an end, you know, I'm handing over the city to my successor in a way that it's a bit like a relay race. You know, as you're running around that relay race, you know, as you're, as you're coming to, to sort of hand over that baton, you're still at full speed. But the person you're handing it over to has got to move from a standing start. And they've got to be at full speed the moment you pass you that baton. All right. So you've got to create this. And then, of course, you slow down. So you've got to create this, this momentum. All right? And, of course, it doesn't mean to say you don't do anything thereafter. You take responsibility for, for, for the initiatives that you've helped launch. So Future.now and the Association of Apprentices, which are the two big things that I've launched, I'm going to chair those for the next year or two because I've launched them. They're my responsibility with the teams and the businesses that I've, I've, I've worked with. So, so in, in, in the last year that you've been Lord Mayor, I've got two questions. One is, is there any particular country that you went to that you were just blown away? You, you were you were so impressed by them that you almost thought there's learnings from here that we could you know we could learn from of all the places you've been. And secondly, is what is it that you're you're most a proud most proud of of what you've achieved in the last year here? So I mean, in terms of countries, uh, what I've taken away is I've taken pieces out of individual countries. Okay, and and I think that. That, that's the benefit of being able to go to 24, 25 different countries. Is that how many you went to in the... Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I went to China three times, the US three times, Canada twice, uh, but 25 countries, 34 cities um, across 90, whatever it's, 90, 100 days. So, I mean, to my mind, I mean, you know, the, the sheer scale of, in India and China is immense. And Africa's coming up pretty rapidly, but Africa's are, are more fragmented because of the different markets. I mean, some of the innovation in Australia, brilliant. Some of the discipline and structure they've got in Singapore, brilliant. Right. So there's some great examples out there, some great businesses. Um, but no, I mean, of the two things that I'm probably most proud of, I mean, one working with a, we've now got 60 odd businesses and civic partners in creating future.now. Um, so it's growing, it's continuing to grow. We've got a lot to do. We're still at the, I think what the phrase is, the end of the beginning. So we've still got masses to do. Uh, and secondly, with the Association of Apprentices, I mean, we've simply launched the company, we're starting to build the membership, um, but more importantly, we're starting to build the platform, the technology platform. So, I mean, these are still in their infancy, but they are great initiatives and ones that I think can have a, a real value. I'm basically uh, looking to do three things going forward. One, to chair Future.now and the Association of Apprentices, at least for another year, subject to others, maybe longer. Um, secondly, um, as a past Lord Mayor, you support the current Lord Mayor, um, particularly when actually the Lord Mayor is out of the country. So I will look to continue to do that. And thirdly, I need to get a job. Um, and so I <laughs> will... You can fit in between all those other roles. Yeah, but, but I will go plural. So I'm looking to try and leverage my skills, be a non-executive director in a couple of areas, um, financial services, technology. I'm sure this is an urban legend. But someone told me to become the Lord Mayor, you have to buy wine for everybody or something along those lines 
you know, myths are <laughs> myths, myths and myths. You know, but they do they, these these sort of these myths and legends are part of our history, aren't they? You know, I mean, I had to pluck the sword of state out of the stone. I mean, that was my biggest challenge as I plucked that sword out and became the Lord Mayor. That was my highlight of the year. What are your your thoughts on London? keeping its crown, being challenged, the consequences of Brexit? Very simple. There's a little place called Westminster. They are responsible for solving the Brexit situation. All right, we can't keep kicking the can down the road. We need resolution. That, but meanwhile, the world is not stopping for Brexit. And for me, therefore, the frustration of Brexit is not only not having a decision, but secondly, the fact that it is masking, it's taking the oxygen away from this innovation that's taking place all over the place. And it's not just in financial services, it's in health and life sciences, it's in creative and media industries, it's in energy. You know, we're innovating left, right and centre, all right? And that is what we need to continue to promote. And so to my mind, you know, we need to get Brexit resolved because actually, as I said, the world's moving forward and it's just holding us back. If people want to get involved in you with you guys, what do they do? What is it you're interested in? What do you want to hear about? So what I would say is simply this, that you know, the City of London is just one piece of the fabric uh, of London, all right? Uh, but to give an example, we had City Giving Day, which uh, took place, it takes place on the, the last Tuesday of, of, of uh, September every year. We had 424 businesses this year, probably, I would say, on av- roughly about 150,000 people involved in City Giving Day, focusing on what they and their colleagues were doing for the community in which they they work, all right? To me, that's about the City of London. The City of London is not just sort of how much economic benefit we create, it's about what we are, how we are engaged in the community in which we serve. And from a fintech perspective, you know, there there are these up-and-coming fintechs, you know, should they be talking to you guys? What should they be talking to you So Innovate Finance, which we help set up, uh, with the government is is the sort of the fintech membership organisation, you know. So part of it is use the internet to work out, but also call us. You know, we're here as a as a championer of 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 what we do, but we're also here to convene and communicate. And so, if there's things you want to know, just get in touch, and we'll answer the question. And I guess the other point is that you're a non-political organisation. Absolutely. I mean, we will work with any government. You know, our mandate is, as I said, to create economic growth, but to make sure that that is socially embedded in our communities. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you, you very Thank much. You Pleasure. Very much. So well I done, can guys. actually see few older men by the actual door. I know that's the actual term. I or think older, women. Oh, older, or women. older women. Older women. Elder. So, Robert, we should really jump out the window because I have a feeling that we're actually overrunning. Fintech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast and TuneIn. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five-star rating.